This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is sponsored by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Located only 30 seconds walk from the nearest bus stop, taking supporters to Potodri for free on match days. Siberia Bar and Hotel is open seven days a week, all year round. Come and join them in Aberdeen's biggest and best beer garden. And even better, head to the bar and quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pint of Foster's, £4 pint of Retty or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Come on, you Reds! It's Tuesday and you know what that means. Welcome to episode 67 of the ABZ Football Podcast. I'm Gary Scott. Joining me this week as always it is Gavin, Jay Baxter and Graham Steele. Gents, how's it going? Good, thank you. Yeah, very, very well. Thank you. VAR is in Scotland now and it's benefited Aberdeen and it's uh, confirmed for, depending which side of Glasgow you're from, that there is a nationwide conspiracy against your team. Absolutely. Time to crack open the celebrated beers. And away win. Away win. Away win. Fuck my life. There we go. A nice little Mark earlier was asking. Tonight it's a raspberry strawberry coconut ripple from Vault City. Graham, you'll be liking that there a little bit. Anyway. I have gone for a shipyard pale ale and the um, <laughs> the, the, the part of the can used to open the thing up has uh, broken upon the attempted uh, <laughs> the attempted opening. So, I so you know be, it's I, a quality product. <laughs> so I'm going to go and get a knife. So I'll be back in a minute. Fuck's sake. That's about to set the tone for a normal episode of this nonsense. Absolutely. We'll just go anyway. In a week that saw Jim Goodwin vindicated as the very, very first game featuring VAR confirms that Ryan Porteous and Martin Boyle, for that matter, are indeed cheating wank stains that saw the winners of 14 of the last 18 available competitions in Scotland still insist there's a wild conspiracy within Scottish football out to get them and that saw Giovanni Van Bronckhorst with all of his international caps winners medals galore for Arsenal and Barcelona pushed towards the exit door by a man who used to dabble in the facilitation and the distribution of quote marks gear it's, it's an interesting thing to think about because you know like you don't want to keep harking on about David Martindale's past because you know he's repented and he's served his time and he's come back into society but it's worth mentioning that you know he went to prison in 2006 which is the same time Van Bronckhorst was playing for Barcelona and doing a La Liga Champions League double isn't it food for thought certainly that's one way to put it anyway the universe has a funny way of coming at you so I'm just gonna say on that one (laughs) it's another busy week on the ABZ football podcast as we take a look back on our Let's Graham, what we say? A fairly successful week for the Dons. Yes, yes, fairly successful week. A four-one win over Partick Thistle in the League Cup quarter-final, and a away win at long last. We just touched on in the league at Motherwell on Saturday. We'll take a look back at all the news from AB Twenty Four this week. We'll check in with the young team along with our regular loan watch, and then after the break, we'll take a look ahead to our first visit of the season to Mordor as we look to make it back-to-back away wins in the league for the first time since December 2017. 
So first, Aberdeen 4, Partick Thistle 1, Wednesday the 19th of October 2022, the Premier Sports League Cup, Vista Play, Via Play, League Cup, Quarterfinal, Skull Cup, I don't even know what it's called anymore, Petodre Stadium. It, listen, it's been covered in the main elsewhere, but we'll touch on it really quickly, I guess. Professional job in the first half goes from Duke and own goal, uh, Hayden Cole, some of his first goal for Aberdeen, having the Dons on easy street before a pretty lacklustre second half. Threatened to let Thistle back into the game. Another goal conceded from a set piece. Who'd have thunk it? Not me. Before a piece of magic from Ryan Duncan late on settled things to send the Dons to Hamden, setting up a semi-final fixture with Sevco 5088 Limited in the middle of January. Looking forward to that one, obviously. Uh, we are unbeaten in cup competition against um, that side. So thoughts on the quarterfinal, gents? It's just really important to get the win. It's probably a little more comfortable than I imagined it, it might have been, but that's also quite reassuring. So I think, yeah, not really much to add other than just really, really critical that we got through, and they did. It was a little easier than I maybe imagined it would be, so just bring on that mob in the next game. Uh, yeah, obviously the most important thing is getting through, but we were all expecting a pretty nervous uh, encounter, potentially extra time, potentially penalties, to get through the tie in a pretty... Convincing, comprehensive manner. I thought we played some some very good stuff in the first half. Um, entirely deserved our our three goal lead. Could have been more. Um, you know, I think we capitalised on the absence of pace in the Park Hill defence. Uh, made their goalkeeper very uncomfortable. And yeah, uh, some good performances all around. Um, I liked the shape of the three at the back with the three in midfield and the Miofsky Duke partnership. Did think. Uh, the changes we made at halftime did take away some of our, our threat, some of our pace. Um, it did seem like we just settled into a kind of, you know, foregone conclusion, kind of, you know, this game's done. Let's just see it out. Um, disappointing goal to concede. Uh, corner travels a very long way. There might be a foul on the defender from the, the lad that scores for Partick, but regardless of that, I think Kelrus should definitely still be saving it. It's a pretty poor effort to keep the ball out from him um, on top of him allowing the ball to travel as far as it does and yeah we could have you know on another day Park might have gotten back into it but we saw out and yeah uh, a moment of magic from one of our young lads uh, I'd like to see so yeah very happy that we got through um, curious game I think some of our players were still off their off their game a little bit I think Ross McCrory when he went right back was pretty Shaky, I think Ramadani with the ball was a little bit careless. Uh, Bajowin, you know, given a chance to come back in and uh, make an impact from the start. I think he was, can't really think of him doing much at all, to be honest. And even then, Miofsky, before he went off, was having a decent enough game, but wasn't getting into opportunities to score. Um, but yeah, all around, as we say, the result in these games is the most important thing. And we're through. And we are through to the semifinals to face them in January. Bring it on. Exactly. Just quick thoughts on the semi-final draw. It was pretty inevitable, I guess, that we'd end up picking up one of Glasgow Green or Glasgow Blue, for those of you who are pro-evolution soccer fans back in the day. Yeah, there was no chance we were going to get Ayrshire. Um, Ayrshire Blue. <laughs> Ayrshire Blue and White. Um, we've got to, regardless of anything, we have, to, we have to beat at least one of them to win the Cup. And if it has to be Rangers in the semi-final, then bring it on. Yeah, same here. You're really unlikely to get to the final without having faced at least one of them. So it's going to happen. Currently, there's not much to suggest that their form's that good. So 
who knows what will happen in January, but yeah. it is what it is. A lot can change between now and then. That's the disappointing thing about the World Cup, isn't it? Because any other season, the League Cup would be finished by late November, so we'd probably be lining up a semi-final now in the next couple of weeks, um, which we're going to come on and talk about them later on in the show, uh, preview next week's game, but you kind of fancy you really want to get them now. I, I, I'm a bit wary that they get the World Cup break to kind of sort their shit out and get a few players back from injury and all that kind of stuff and it becomes a much for task than it, it maybe is right at this moment in time but we'll see we'll come on to them later on um we've done it before a spirit of 2018 and all that's still pretty fresh in mind lewis ferguson uh, in front of a, a, a pretty small aberdeen support that day but a noisy one i'll say one of the best bounces i've ever had i think as an aberdeen fan that afternoon at hamden um but we'll come on to it later on and like you say into the semi-final that's all that matters after the game on wednesday night um let's move on though to saturday Mobile one, Aberdeen two, Saturday the 22nd of October 2022, the SPFL Premiership at Fir Park. Back to lead duty, Jim Goodwin returning to the same starting 11 as the one that saw off Hearts at Pathology last time out in the league and sticking with the same 3-5-2 formation as well. Back to the Stuart, Scales McCrory, midfield three of Clarkson, Barron and Ramadani, flanked by Richardson and McKenzie with Duke and Miofsky up top. And first ever game, for the Dons with the VAR cameras in full operation and it took no time at all for the technology to, to be required. Miofsky with a beautifully timed run to latch onto Barron's through ball and his gorgeous finish over Kelly looked to have been ruled out by the idiot linesman on the far side for offside. And unbelievably, considering it was Dallas Jr. in the VAR studio, he was clearly paying too much attention to what was happening at Ibrox to give too much of a shit. Goal was given. The Dons had the perfect now start. now thinks there's a conspiracy. <laughs> the Macedonian with his first ever goal away from Pitoji. get that green and white scarf off your neck Gary come on fucking hell <laughs> well uh, I am in the central belt again I must admit this week so you know that'll, that'll have the tongues wagging once again I imagine and the Dons thought we'd made it too just nine minutes later Duke's initial header from Scales' cross saved by Kelly and his follow-up was then ruled out for offside correctly this time, as it turns out. A couple of minutes later, the Dons with a massive let-off. Roos spilling an easy gather of the ball into the path of Van Veen, who pulled his effort wide when he really should have scored. Richardson nearly getting his first goal for the club on 25 minutes. Clarkson finding the wing back at the back post, and after cutting inside, his effort was blocked by a muddle defender. Tierney nearly found his way to an equaliser for the home side on 39 minutes, but McCrory cleared as Muddle tried to rally before the end of the first half before Duke grew, Duke grew, Duke drew a booking for Lamy and had a final effort at Kelly saved as the Dons went in at halftime, a goal to the good. Muddle with a halftime switch, seeing Shields come on for Tierney, but it was Aberdeen who started the brighter. Duke should have done better with a cross from Richardson, his header sailing wide before he should have done better again after being put through on goal by Miofsky, but the ball... Somehow, I've watched a few times now, I still don't quite understand what happened, ended up running away from him. And lo and behold, a, a tale as old as time, the home side found an equaliser on 55 minutes. Mackenzie sleeping at a throw-in, which allowed Shields to cross. McKinstry did well to control the looping ball and finished it well beyond Roos, who got a glove to it, but not enough to stop it nestling in the back of the net. Now, Motherwell began to take control of the game at this point. Chances for Spittle and Van Veen going begging before the Dons managed to get themselves back in front on 67 minutes. Jack McKenzie sent away on the left by Clarkson and his early ball into the box was met by a stooping header from Duke past Kelly for his seventh of the campaign, his third in three games, sending the away fans into raptures. Matty Kennedy replaced the Cape Verdean on 77 minutes before Bajewin and Watkins replaced Clarkson and Miofsky on 84 and 86 minutes respectively as the game became a pretty scrappy one 
the Dons standing up pretty much to everything the home side had to throw at them. Stewart in particular doing his part with numerous headed clearances before the full-time whistle eventually went. The Dons finally, finally, finally getting an away win in the league at a venue other than McDermott Park or the Tony Mac. And with results falling kindly all weekend, we finished the week in third spot. On the data front, quite surprisingly, possession, uh, 41% Aberdeen, 59% to Motherwell. Total shots, 12 for Motherwell, 7 for the Dons. Shots on target, 5 for Motherwell to 2 for Aberdeen. A 100% shot on target conversion rate. Remember those shots on shots conversion rates, game we were laughing about way back early in the season, but I think it was Kilmarnock, wasn't it? It was like a 2 percenter. Yeah. That's how it's done, boys. <laughs> That's how it's done. Expected goals 0.71 from Motherwell to Aberdeen's 1.11. So, um, I guess before we start, just your general thoughts on that performance. Really, really satisfying. I think we've all, everyone's been fed up and probably a little embarrassed with a really terrible away form over the last, uh, well, too long. So, it was really, really good to get three points any day get away from home and also getting down I mean they've done a bit of a number on us quite a few times well home and away actually recently so probably of all the opponents to do it to it was quite nice to get a little bit of revenge on them for the way they've uh, well they've I was going to say they've outthought us last few games they've just basically they've pulled up pants really down haven't the pitch. they last few yeah. seasons it's been continual yeah so it was quite satisfying to, to get one over and also when you look at some of the play, some of the chances we created and maybe didn't take and the goals that we did score, there's a lot to like in there. Yeah, I mean, the the big thing for us, I think, on the road was simply to get a result, no matter what way we got it. Um, and yeah, Motherwell have been such a, a bogey team home and away for for what feels like an eternity. Now, it's probably not actually that long, but it feels like it's been you know a never-ending cycle of getting pumped by the team that play in. Amber and Claret. Um, as far as the game itself, the performance, you know, I think there's still issues within it, certainly, um, based on watching the highlights, having listened to it on the radio. I think Motherwell did st- were able to create chances against us um, a little too easily that on another day we can uh, you know, find ourselves a goal behind and away from home. That's an issue. That's a situation we've not been able to deal with that well um, for a number of months now. Um, as far as you know, the goals themselves. I mean, Miofsky, I think it shows real, real bottle, real courage from a guy that's maybe not been in the greatest form lately to try a repeat of the lob finish that he tried at Pataudry against Motherwell, which didn't come off. And if that had happened, you know, who knows what that game, how that game turns out? Um, it's a very, very composed finish. And when we're maybe a little bit under the cosh for uh, Ramadani to play his way out, find McKenzie. It's a good ball, but it's also an awkward ball. It's very fast. It's quite awkward height. And once again, our man Duke, he shows incredible improvisation. We get that goal, get back in front, and we see the game out. Um, I think it could be a potentially pivotal point in our season, that result. Well, fingers crossed. Let's um, let's dive a bit deeper into it, shall we then? I mean, first things first, I guess. It's, it's a massive week that's just gone past from us now. You know, um, I look back to two weeks ago when we were sitting recording and... That was off the back of the absolute debacle at Tanadice. Foaming um, at the mouth. And listen, like three decent results don't still mean that that debacle at Tanadice has kind of completely escaped my mind. Um, and I hope it hasn't done for most of the people at the club as well. It's still an inexcusable performance away in at Tanadice. And there's still a lot of, from my perspective, kind of 
ground that needs to be made up there. But it's a huge week that has just gone past now. Win at home against Hearts and then the Thistle quarterfinal to get through that and then to get that away win at Motherwell. Huge. And we questioned him, the manager. Um, and I still think there are still some question marks out there. He's not out of the woods yet from my perspective. But big credit probably needed to the manager for the shift in shape. We first saw it against Hearts. Now, that might have been enforced because of the Hayes and Coulson absences for that game. Um and after our first, if, you know, the first 45 minutes in that shape were a bit iffy. It's probably fair to say at home against Hearts. But against Thistle in the first half, it looked good. And yesterday, I think it looked good as well for us. It looks like it could be a setup that does actually work for us. So far, so good. Yeah, it's kind of early days. But I don't even don't want to dwell on the United thing. It was, it was a farce and it will always remain so. But, you know, if you can keep picking up three points every week that goes by, it becomes less of a... You know, it's sort of maybe less at the forefront of my my thinking or my mind. I think the the change of the shape, I guess, is always a bit of a, a a risky one because in some cases maybe that's it depends what the manager's like. You know, it's an admission that you've got it wrong before, and not everyone likes to necessarily take it on the chin that maybe what you thought was right wasn't right. Not necessarily saying that's the case here. Maybe it was enforced, but enforced or not, it doesn't really matter. He's gone with it, and so far. Uh, is actually working out for us. That's, I guess that doesn't necessarily mean this is the way we're going to be now as people come back or maybe depending on who you play, you maybe do have to change it and mix it up a little bit. So far, so good. Um, it's helped maybe, you know, McKenzie's had some decent games out with that system and maybe prior to that we were wondering, ignoring the fact he'd been out injured, he had been available the last few games prior to the change. So I'm wondering, oh, where does he fit? Does he... Is he good enough or whatever? And, you know, starting to look like there might be some merit in him playing more often and in that system. Funny you say that because Hayden Colson was amazing against Park Thistle. So there's real uh, there's real competition for places when it comes to that left wing back position. Yeah. Well, that's a good point. And that's what you want to see, isn't it? Uh, Hayden Colson, of course, not in the squad. I think it was chat, maybe some personal reasons as to why he wasn't in the team. Doesn't sound like there's any injury issues there, which uh, I think it's what... more to do. I think is. is... His partner's uh, heavily pregnant, so presumably was either in labour or is in the final stages of it. So, yeah. Lovely stuff. Yeah, I mean, Tannadice was, yeah, nothing short of embarrassing. I think we we definitely weren't putting that anger on. That was, that was very, very real, what we felt uh, two weeks ago, reviewing that game. But, I mean, you know, we're now 11 fixtures into the league campaign. It's kind of like a whole round of fixtures. I know it's not quite accurate because we've played Motherwell twice and we haven't played Rangers yet but I did a little yeah. bit of digging and you know when you look back last year this time at this point we had three wins five defeats and three draws uh, giving us 12 points this year we've got six wins four defeats and a single draw we had scored 13 goals conceded 15 at this point last year giving us a goal difference of minus two with two clean sheets and this year we've scored 22, um, conceded 16, giving us a goal difference of plus six with three clean sheets. So yeah, I think when you look, break it all down, there's still a ton of work to do. And I think there's work to do in terms of systems, in terms of personnel, tactics, et cetera, et cetera, the whole, the whole shebang. But from my perspective, we're, we're going in the right direction and yeah, long may that continue. And with all that being said, that gives a league position of third place. I don't know where we were last year this time, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't third. So, yeah, progress. Progress is being made. I imagine we'd be somewhere near the bottom. 
No, I would think by this time last season, we're probably mid-table, I would imagine, because we'd have probably come back through the... Sliding down, though. That result... Well, we probably not, because we probably came through that run of results. Hearts, Rangers, Rangers, Rangers is the last fixture in that 11. Yeah, so we'd have probably been starting to have a bit of an upward trajectory at that point before then all went to that shit again. Anyway, the um, the good thing is, well, I was speaking to someone today about it. My only, my only concern with the three at the back... um is when you play against a team who genuinely play with just one up top and they don't really commit a lot of bodies forward, and I imagine this might be something we see a lot of at Pataudry more than anywhere else, three at the back is overkill to to man mark one player, and it does leave you probably short in the midfield area. Um, but it, it it's a shape that really works for us here because it protects Anthony Stewart in particular, I think, and it probably protects Jaden Richardson to an extent as well. Um so I'm kind of not, I don't really want to see us move away from it, but I am wary about those situations where teams do come up here and just play with genuinely one up top and overload the midfield area, um, which could leave us exposed. And it's going to be interesting to see how we deal with that. Um, I was kind of saying this to somebody today, it's almost like you kind of almost want to be in a situation where in a game like that, you leave McCrory as a bit of a kind of floating midfielder almost. So you kind of still play with a three, but you give McCrory the license to play a little bit further forward given he's got the legs to, to to add a little bit more bite and a little more beef, I guess, into the midfield area if you need it. Um, and you kind of almost play like a kind of weird like 2-2, two, 2-2, two, 4-2 two, two, two kind of formation. It sounds really odd, but having that ability to be a bit fluid and a bit flexible with what you're doing from a shape perspective to to, to match up against or to, to counter what teams are coming to do to you or not do to you, as the case may be, is interesting. And it gives, I think, Goodwin some options now, which is something I think... For all my time watching Aberdeen, I've never really felt, certainly in the last 20, 25 years anyway, I've never really felt that we have that f- tactical flexibility or options available to us. We seem to have been stuck with managers who were re- who would religiously stick to a setup and they would kind of do anything to ensure they could keep that setup. Um, and sometimes it left you always wondering about like plan Bs and plan Cs and just an ability to kind of flex with what the game's doing. So from my perspective, I'm kind of very intrigued to see how this develops. Yeah, I mean, Graham said it many times. How many, how many times has Plan B been Plan A with different personnel? Um, I think Goodwin deserves a lot of credit for it, because um, I think we do still have the personnel available to him to play the 4-2-3-1, 4-3-3 system that I spoke with Graham Hunter about being his absolute preferred system. But he has made those changes. And what I do like about it as well is that it's the way for me, that we can manage to get both Leighton Clarkson and Connor Barron into the team as well. Because if you're playing 4-2-3-1 or 4-3-3, you can maybe fit one of them with Ramadani yeah. and McCrory. And in that case, I think you're leaving out you know, real talent, real match-winning talent there. I think Leighton Clarkson, I guess Partick, when he played the first half, was very, very good. Yeah, I thought he ran the show. Sean, Connor Barron's show, he's all about and against Motherwell. So, yeah, um, I didn't think I'd be serious about a three at the back system for Aberdeen, but make it work. Hey, I'm on board. Even more importantly, it allows us to play two up top as well, which is already starting to show dividends. There is that. The only kind of potential negative, if it's even a negative, is like where do you then fit in the likes of Johnny Hayes, who's been very, very good for us this season, or you know some of our any one of our 25 million wide players that we signed in the summer. It's, uh, yeah, it's um. It's that thing again of maybe like we're going to come back to recruitment and Jim Goodwin's found a system out of experience and the personnel he's now taken in. But yeah, you're kind of looking at it and thinking, well, this isn't what we 
this isn't the shape I think we signed our players for in the summer. So you have to look at that and maybe analyze the way we've gone about that. But that's for a more negative episode. And we're talking about Aberdeen beating Motherwell 2-1 at Fir Park. So let's carry on with that. Absolutely. Uh, intensity, a big, big thing. I think up to and including the United game, we were one of the the, the least pressing sides in the league. Um, if you look to our PPDA, uh, who am I going to click my fingers at this week? Graham. Passes per defensive action. There we go. We were sitting like in the bottom three in the league on this metric for pretty much the whole season up to and including the United game in there with United and Livingston, I think it was. And we know how passive Livingston are in terms of like their the way they defend. They just sit back and let people come and come at them. But since that game, so just the two league games, Hearts and United now, at Motherwell now, we've jumped up to being the fifth most pressing team in the league, which is quite a big jump in just two games. Uh, a PPD average 12.1 we're still quite a bit off the likes of Celtic and Hibs who do press very intensively but that's a marked improvement in just two games so clearly that's something that's been drilled into the team as well now is to get up in the faces of the opposition much much quicker certainly sounds like it I think that's only natural when you've got someone like Duke up there leading the line who's can just it's like the Duracell battery that guy just runs and runs at the same pace all day so you have someone like that up there the defence will start from the very front yeah, I think the whole pressing thing, I mean, there seems to be this sort of expectation or assumption that everyone must press basically high and fast for 90 minutes. I mean, isn't it? It's not possible from the physical point of view. No. And, I, and actually, you, you know, obviously there's many ways to play the game. That Livingston's a good example. They're sort of the polar opposite of that. But that doesn't yeah. mean they're rubbish or leaky. They've oh. just decided... You, you can come at us and that's fine and we are confident that we will defend and then we'll get a chance and we'll break on you. So there's different ways to do it, but I feel like the sweet spot is an ability to absorb pressure and defend and sort of regroup to an extent, but also maybe for the, I was going to say, the, the weaker teams in the league where the players aren't as good, an ability to then sort of switch and say, right, we're now going to press you for a period because you know they're, they're not going to be like one touch, two touch and pass around you. They're going to start giving you the ball yeah. or shelling it and conceding territory. So some sort of way of mixing up. So I'm not, I don't think, you know, like personally, I don't want to see us at the top of that necessarily. But if we're moving up, I think that is positive because we were, we were not quite the Livingston come at us and we'll defend because it was like yeah. come at us all oh, right we've conceded we were, <laughs> and we, stuck between, we were kind of stuck between two horses yeah basically we? yeah exactly we weren't yeah exactly we weren't full Just on between two horses that's mixing metaphors <laughs> yes yeah, so I think we, we knew where you were going we weren't really anything the world we is your lobster either of them Dave Cormack your world we still need to do t-shirts still need to do t-shirts <laughs> so it's, it is it's an improvement and I don't know if it's a coincidence that those, you know, that particular metric has improved and has come with an upside uh, or an up an upturn in, the, in our fortunes and our results. Maybe it is, maybe, maybe it isn't, but it kind of feels logically that it would go along with better results. It's an interesting metric though, because as we just touched on, Livingston are one of the teams who press the least in the league. They just don't do it. They've got the third best defensive record in the league, Livingston. I, I bear in mind, they conceded five to us. They've, they've conceded 13 goals in 11 games so far. Like I say, five of them was, were with us. You strip out those five, they'd be probably sitting alongside Rangers or Celtic in terms of the, the goals they've conceded. So that shows there's no one way to play the game, you know? Correct. And I, I, like people, or, or I always probably associate high press with a defensive team and they're difficult to get out, but that's not really, that's not really the case. The facts don't really 
to support that when you look at the mixture of teams in the league and who's got the better defence, you think, oh, they must just really harry the opposition. Well, they don't actually. They're just well-drilled. They'll let you come at them and then they don't do daft stuff like try to break out and steal the ball. They will just hold their position or they're good at holding the line. So there are many ways to go about it. But I do feel like the opportunity to, to sort of mix it up and be able to put teams under pressure with a pressing game, it's got to be good to have a bit of both yeah. elements in your locker. Absolutely. Uh, talk about defence. Anthony Stewart, we were critical of him after the United game. Deservedly so, I think. I don't think you know there was anything over the top about it. Um, but a big, big performance from the big man against Hearts and probably even more importantly here against Millwall because we've seen Kevin Van Veen ragdoll defender after defender after defender from our side. No chance that was happening on Saturday. Fucking great stuff. Defender after defender is an interesting synonym for Declan Gallagher. But yeah, anyway... <laughs> Not just Gallagher. I mean, like he did it to Gallagher a lot, but well, he did he did it to Gallagher with one arm, so that's why that maybe sticks out in my mind the most, which is fair. Anthony Stewart. Um, so much, so much conversation around Anthony Stewart in his very brief time at Aberdeen about his uh, his merits as a player, his strengths, his weaknesses. It's been talked about to death. Um, I think we all are in pretty solid agreement that he is a a good a good defender and that's probably where it begins and where it ends and that's where the the merit of this new shape with the three at the back and McCrory and Scales and Ramadai in front doing all the kind of the legwork as such allowing him just to go and do his job to the uh, to the ability that he can do it I mean he is he's shown in the time he's been here that there is something definitely there and I do believe there is a leader there as well that's been talked about as well his 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 um his captaincy perhaps, but yeah, a a massive performance against a guy who's, you know, Van Veen's been in decent form this year. Um, it's not just like last year where he shows up when the red and white of Aberdeen roll up into town. He's been good against other teams. He is an awkward player to play against, and he you know he got the winner against us in uh, at Petodre earlier this season. So for Anthony Stewart to come in and more or less take him out of the game, um, barring the best efforts of Kel Roos to give him a goal. I think it speaks a lot about um, Estrus' capabilities and, yeah, a, a big reaction from a guy that, yeah, he needed, as much as anyone after Tannis, a big reaction. And he's given us that since uh, since then against Hearts and against Motherwell. So, yeah, all the credit in the world to Estrus. Yeah, I think he's, in general, I think he's a decent enough defender He's quite good at just actually defending. Don't think he's the silkiest player on the ball, but you know that that that's okay. I'd probably rather he was focused on keeping the ball out in the net. And in general, I think he's been all right. I know Tanner this aside, and he he wasn't very good. But then you know he was by no means alone. No, um, he wasn't uh, with that. So yeah, I think obviously it's easy to sort of looking from the outside in go in on someone or criticise when they have a bad game and these things will happen. But I think the the, the real measure of with the, sort of the player and the support he gets from the management and his teammates and stuff is you, you just need to be able to almost forget about it and not let it get to you. And then you just come out the next game and it's like it never happened. And that's kind of what you want to see that, okay, it's disappointing that maybe people have a game like that. But as, you know if that's a blip and you can come out and then start playing consistently well, uh, I'm okay with that. So yeah, good good performance from him, and let's see uh, more of that and less of the other game. 
that is the good thing about the shape though isn't it that i think yeah i think the big thing that people maybe latch on to with that is not so much the defending it's more what he does with the ball and of course he has been guilty of looking for some uh let's call them hollywood passes to the to the right side which find their way into the uh often find their way into the stand with McCrory skills Ramadani very close to him he can as you claim says just focus on what he's good at get the ball to the nearest red or white shirt and yeah carry on carry on from there so yeah that's another reason why the shape I can't believe I'm saying it but yeah three at the back for Aberdeen it's the way forward I've seen it it's the future garlic bread um Ilber Ramadani what a performance from the Albanian in the centre park um, on Saturday, absolute gem once again. I know, Gav, you're still not sold on Ramadani. I know this. Well, um, no, I think I think his standards. I mean, you're have... wrong. But well, no, no, he he was he was very 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 poor against United. Like he was one that everyone I, was very poor. Everyone was very poor, but he especially, in my mind, was very poor in losing that midfield battle to like Craig Sibold. But I didn't. See and that. against Hearts, I thought he was quite careless with the ball at times. There were times where he was. He's putting the ball up in the air, which is a vast counter to what he was doing earlier on the season when he was finding finding his uh, teammates with you know short sharp passes. Even against Partick, times not quite to the standards that he was reaching at the earlier part of the season. But hey, for a park, excellent performance, such composure, such quality to come away with the ball uh, in his own half and then find that pass to McKenzie that leads to the uh, the winning goal. So yeah, absolutely. Not that I'm not convinced, but his standards have dropped and I think people aren't calling him out on that because maybe they just like his personality. That's what it is. That's, that's, that's how football works. You don't criticise your favourites. Just wrong, Gav. But, just, wrong. Uh, just wrong. All right. All right. We'll go back to the Hearts <laughs> game where he's putting the ball up into the air because it down with snow on it. And then... And I guess part. I, I know, and I guess I think, I think, at times... Uh, and, I, and in those two games, also there were times where he's winning tackles, but he's also like somehow not coming with the ball. So the tenacity wasn't there at the same kind of level. Yeah, I don't disagree. There were times against Hearts where I think it got very, very frantic in the middle of the park. And I think that he kind of almost reverted back to just, I'm just going to get rid of the fucking thing. And it was away from me, then I've done my job, I think was a little bit of it. And then the game kind of, I felt he grew into it. And there was bits of that against this one as well, I think, where it wasn't so much about getting rid of the ball. It was like just the ball, I don't know, he seemed to take a few heavy touches, I think, on Wednesday night, which kind of put him under a bit of pressure. Um, I admit that some of his passing on Wednesday night and also against Hearts wasn't great, but I fucking love the guy. Like, this is a guy who has just come in, has embraced the club, and, hey, listen, you're only as good as your last game. He was fucking incredible at Fair Park on Saturday. All I'm doing is I'm holding Ilber to the high standards that he's already set. I saw somebody talk about him. Graham, you like this, because Graham Shinney was a guy who you loved as a footballer. Graham, um, I know this. Not just because he shares your name, Um Spells are wrong, but other than that, he's a good egg. Yeah, uh, and we all did. Um, and I saw someone talk about Ramadani today, saying it's the f- you know it's the first time we've had a genuine replacement. Things so that Shinny left for that sort of player, and I kind of don't tend to disagree with that. The only thing I would say is he he doesn't get booked in the opening two or three minutes of every game by jumping into stupid tackles, um, which certainly helps him. He's not a license to print money the way Shinny was when you uh, <laughs> opened up your betting app. Ooh, who will I have on for? First, well, first yellow or any booking, I know. Um, I think I don't think he's. But well, that was so unfair, actually. by the way. I was he sure. was. That was oh, so unfair. Clear, but he got no. He but the got fact he always got booked. Walk. But yeah, but it was never. He was almost never a yellow card offense. His first foul. He just always got given a yellow card for his first foul. 
absolute bullshit. You must have like the most minutes played on yellow cards without getting sent off. Why? Well, how shinny, man! It's just, it's, especially in Scottish football, yeah. playing for Aberdeen, being on a booking <laughs> within like the first five minutes of a game. How do you escape being sent off? Especially sent off for Aberdeen. Nope. Never. I don't think he did. Did he? No. Never. Unbelievable stuff. Not even. Anyway. Not even when he was going studs first on Scott Brown. <laughs> um, Graham, sorry, Ramadani. Gav's Gav's just sidetracked this year. I'm not so sure. I can see, I know what you mean in terms of the the Shinny comparison to degree. He's not quite the all action. To no, he's down. not. He's much more controlled. He's the engine. It's much more controlled. But yeah, he's had some games that were maybe not what you would sort of standard you would hope or expect. But there is something about him in that I find him quite a calming influence. Generally, he's he's kind of pretty solid. I think we discussed this before. Like he's. He's one of, because he's not necessarily tearing up and down the pitch and flying into tackles, but he just always seems to be there, either in his midfield role, and by being there, that means that his opponents, I just need to play a sideways pass or whatever, you know, they don't just get to charge up to our box unopposed. Or if we have maybe got a bit out of shape or we've been on an attack and it's broken down quite often, he's popping up in a defensive position because he's realised, right, I need to go and cover. So he just kind of appears... Yeah everywhere uh, I, I am enjoying him um, he's been he's been a good sign it's obviously nice to see someone that actually seems to be bothered about playing for your club as well that's always the icing on the cake but probably more importantly than that is the fact that he I think he's doing a good job and he, look, he looks like a decent player because he can sort of get around the pitch and he can cover for people but then he's got some actual ability in his locker uh, as well rather than just being athletic and tactically adept he actually can play football so really enjoying him so far hopefully he'll just continue on at the sort of the level he's set for the rest of the season I mean he's a guy as well he's coming to Scottish football for the first time it's it's how many times have we heard this from from guys who've played the game that just the pace of the of the game in Scotland in particular is just a completely different level to what they've played at previously you know, he's only 11, well, 11 games plus the cup games into his, his Aberdeen career. I, I can only see him improving as he gets more and more used to the way that um, Scottish football works and how, how quick and intense it can be. Big test for him coming up at Ibrox on Saturday. We'll, we'll touch on this again later on, I think. Um, but for what? I think when we spoke to um, Aaron, um, you know, the rumour was it was between 150 and 300 grand that we paid for Ramadani. An absolute steal. If it's especially if it's at the lower end of that kind of figure. Um anyway, all the credit in the world to the to the, the recruitment team on, on picking that one up. I think it's fair to say at this moment in time. Jack McKenzie, Jaden Richardson, um wing backs at the weekend. I think it was maybe a surprise for a lot of people that Jack McKenzie started because Hayden Colton had put in such a good performance in midweek against uh Partick Thistle. Like as we said earlier on, I think there were personal reasons for why Colson missed out. So a great opportunity for McKenzie to come in. And I think from all of us on the podcast in particular, I think the jury's well and truly still out on both of those players. Um, but better from both of them on Saturday, I thought. Certainly in terms of going forward, as Richardson should score. Uh, he also puts in a good ball for uh, Duke. That Duke should probably do better with the header at. Uh, Mackenzie, instrumental for the second game in a row. Yeah, he does very well. Attacks his, attacks his opponent. Gets the cross in early, finds his man. So yeah, absolutely, absolutely fantastic from that perspective. Um, it's always that thing with Jack McKenzie, though, of you know, is he capable of putting in a, a performance for the ninety minutes? And 
feels like there's always a moment where he's gonna you know <sighs> let the team down let himself down and that's what happens at the at the motherwell goal it's you know it's very switched off very almost jet-esque laid-back football from from jack mckenzie just let that even happen it's you know it's a pretty timid attempt even after the fact of the ball getting to the motherwell player to try and close him down so um you know if jack mckenzie wants to be in the aberdeen team you know the He's got a competition, as we say, in the shape of of Hayden Coulson. And beyond that, you know, if we're going to switch to this back three wing back setup, then Johnny Hayes probably comes into consideration for that position as well. So he's going to have yeah. to, yeah, I think just learn just to, you know, focus and, yeah, get himself through a, a complete 90 minutes. Um, and, yeah, get that run of games, which I'm not sure that's going to come for him as such right now. Because I do think that if they're available, Hayden Coulson's my first pick anyway. Probably inclined to agree with you. As much as I like Johnny Hayes, I don't really want to see him in that role. I'd rather see him further forward. I'm just basically being an attacker. Coulson's definitely come onto a game recently, so I can see why you probably want him in there. But then I guess I suppose ultimately you want competition, don't you? And still early days in that in that system. But if those two are competition for each other, then that that's not a bad thing because you hopefully get to the point where you know it kind of becomes academic who's playing, whether it's the injuries or is rotating. You've got two guys that are capable of doing the job. I know you mean about Mackenzie there. There was, you know, I think he does really, really well for that goal. It's yeah. not like the way he just, you know, he just sort of trots up to the defender, sizes him up, and he's he's quick, he's strong, great cross. That's all really good. His um his efforts in in conceding the goal, not so much where it's, I don't know, it's all just looks a little lazy and it's all a big surprise that there's someone there competing for the ball with him and that shouldn't really be happening, I feel like, at this level. And he's not, I know he's a relatively young man, but I wouldn't say he's inexperienced. Um, I mean, that, that's pretty basic that if you're, if you're on the pitch, there's going to be an opponent in and around you. It doesn't really matter where you're standing. So a lot, a lot of things that I'm starting to enjoy because I'd like to see him sort of make that breakthrough and become a first-team player. But he probably is going to have to really focus on his game if he's going to make that slot his own because Coulson's been really, really good the last few weeks. Yeah, even against Hearts um, last week when... It's a good win for Aberdeen, of course, but you know there were still uh, moments in the first half, especially when Hearts did get at our left side and he was found wanting on a couple of occasions and with them um, some more decisive finishing or a better final ball hearts could have punished us in that situation um overall don't get me wrong overall these last two performances have been good from jack mckenzie but i do think if he wants to be in the Aberdeen first 11 on a consistent basis he does need to step up a bit it's quite encouraging that we're talking about genuine competition and two yeah, options yeah uh, yeah yeah that that's a bit of a step change from where we were last season, for for example. So I'd probably rather be discussing and or arguing about who should be in the team because you've got good options to pick from than maybe where we have been before, where mm. it's like none of them should be in the team. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and, and and yeah, on the on the point of um Jaden on the opposite side of flank, I mean I wasn't at Fair Park, so can't comment what happened uh over the course of 90 minutes, but in the highlights I've seen. There's nothing from him that's got me hiding behind my sofa. So in that sense, 
it's an improvement. Um, like I said last week, we just can't accept that this is probably what we have to deal with at the very least until January. Um, but yeah, it didn't look like there was anything overly that I take a great uh, offense with as far as his play. And yeah, did some good work going forward. Still want a little bit better from him as well. So yeah, if his, he's kind of likewise with um, Jack McKenzie. Yeah. If he wants to be an Aberdeen player, then yeah, he knows what he needs to improve. I'm sure he does. Bujomiowski and Duke. Um, one of the great things we touched on earlier on about the system is that we get an opportunity to play two strikers up top. How long has it been since it feels like we've played like two out-and-out strikers? I mean, I know Duke's probably not really an out-and-out striker, but to play two strikers up top together and kind of let them try and develop a partnership. And it's starting to flourish, it's fair to say. Two fucking wonderful goals from both of them today. Different goals. Um, Miowski's is just a, a filthy, filthy finish. Um Duke, it's just that improvisation, isn't it? It's that ability to just create something out of... I don't want to say nothing. I still think it's a good ball in by McKenzie. But Kelly's clearly not expecting him to do what he does. Um, that that unexpectedness is something that you can't kind of teach in football. Um, there's a real chance for these two to kind of really develop into something quite special, isn't there? The last two that I can think of that played up front with one another would be Sam Cosgrove and Stevie May. And, you know, one of them barely passes for a footballer. And the other one, Stevie May. So um, that was, so we're talking about, you know, levels. That's that, that's that word again. Hashtag levels. Um, first of all, delighted for Bojan Miofsky that he has got that goal and is back on the goal trail because yeah. he's coming for a lot of, um, I'm going to say, very exaggerated extreme stick for his performances as of late. From a, I think from a section of the crowd who have got an affiliation with a guy that wears 99 at our shirt that I still don't quite understand. Smirks at penalty kicks being against us, yeah. And and will pounce on anything Boy Amioski does that is, you know, not great um, as uh, evidence that this other individual should be playing. I was thinking that Ramirez, you know, he came on, he did, he did okay against Parag. I think he should have yeah, done better with that one on one. Um, a great improvised yes. effort from long range that could have gone in. That could have been a screamer. I want to see more of that. That's, yeah. that's I've got no issue with that at all. But I do believe that with Bojanovic, we've got a, just a different level, a different caliber of striker to anyone else we've had in a, a number of years now. And I'd go as far as to say, probably in terms of caliber of striker, they're very different strikers, obviously. But I'd go as far back as probably Shearer, um, ninety two, ninety three, um, in terms of caliber of striker. I, I can't even think of anyone that, that comes close from my perspective to Miofsky. Um I think he's got Stephen Craig. So much going for him. Stephen Craig, Lee Hines. Um, Valichka. Valichka. <laughs> you know, I, I agree with you totally about this. I think that some of the criticism Miofsky's come in for in recent weeks has been um, outlandish. It's fair to say there was the miss at Tanner Dice, which, yeah, it was a bad miss. Um, there was a miss at Easter Road, which was not great. Um, people were talking about the chances in the second half at Tanadice. I see. I didn't think the one where he chests it down for himself and kind of volleys it. I don't think it's an easy chance when he it's actually. No, but it down. I think he's got the ability to do better than what he does. I, I think he does. I think he, I think I think he rushed pressured. that one. Yeah, he rushed it. I think he snatched that a lot, but absolutely. Um, but then you know, I didn't see a lot of people talk about it. But the run he makes last Saturday against Hearts, when Duke is running with one leg. The run he makes to pull two or three hearts central defenders away, which gives Bajau in the space. It's that type of thing that I think goes unnoticed a lot of time by 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 fans is the stuff that happens off the ball. Yeah. Um 
his movement, and this is, uh, maybe we can come on it now, actually. You were waiting to talk about Miofsky, sorry, guy. I've totally just caught over the top of you. On you go. Well, the good thing is you just copy and pasted what I was going to say about his movement and okay. what he's continued to do off the ball. And you know, some of his link-up play has been not quite to the same level as it was earlier because I do think there's maybe just that lack of confidence off the back of you know, me mm-hmm. not scoring a few goals. Um, there is a moment in that game against Motherwell where he puts a very loose pass into the centre of the park that leads to a Motherwell chance. So, you know, he needs to kind of obviously cut that kind of shit out because he's he's better than that by... We've seen that um, already. Um, and yeah, but yeah, like I said earlier, it's just it shows a real level of belief and courage in his technique that he's prepared to have a go at that, that lofted finish again. And yeah, it's it's a fantastic goal from him. And yeah, I'm, just, I'm very happy that he's back on the goal trail. And I believe that he's going to go on and yeah, do what we thought he'd do and finish the season as top goal scorer in the league. The great thing is, also having a partnership, they're two very different strikers, two different forwards, Dukimiovsky. But I think they'll complement each other well as well. You've got the kind of pace, the power, the unpredictability of Duke combined with the kind of, I guess, the more technically astute, sensible, intelligent movement that Miofsky brings to the table. I think I can see the two of them really dovetailing really, really well. You say they're very different strikers. I don't think there's anyone in the world that's like Duke. Well, that's probably not. That's a fair point. Um, and I what touched a, on it today. What though. a player that guy is. Unbelievable. Oh, man, just... Uh, what's he now? Three and three, seven goals already this season for a guy who was a work in progress. Um, what's he going to be like when he's just a work? <laughs> I know, <laughs> or a shoot. Um, <laughs> um, you worked yourself into a shoot, brother. Um, yeah, I, I touched on this today online with somebody. With these two guys up front, I do wonder if we might be real beneficiaries off of VAR because you look at Mayofsky's goal on Saturday. Without VAR, that goal gets ruled out because there's an idiot on the stand side who flags it offside and we get a chance to review it again. Duke and Miofsky, their movement, their ability to break lines, the the intelligence that they show with their running, I wonder if we will actually become net beneficiaries of VAR because we're not going to see goals that would previously be ruled out by fucking idiots have to be given for <laughs> us. You know, like that's a critical moment, that goal, Miel. Ultimately, that goal... You know, it's a 2-1 win. If we don't get that goal, it's a 1-1 draw. I know that's not how football works, but you know what I mean. Like, do Because we have players who have that ability to play between the lines, on the on the fine lines, on the fine margins now, I do wonder if we might end up seeing ourselves as being kind of net beneficiaries of actually there being additional eyes on, on the game with these two guys up top for us. You've got to wonder if somewhere in Norway, Harold Stavens watching VAR being at has got a show and just thinking, ah, <laughs> oh, for fuck's sake, this has come like 20 years too late. I was making those runs and these guys were be, maybe, maybe not so much. To be fair, he was still making the runs. The problem was no one no one was no one was passing to him for about five minutes. Yeah, he didn't he didn't have Connor Banner or Leighton Clarkson playing those balls through to my guess. Yeah, no, that's fair enough. He didn't. Um and that's why I think um it's so important to have Connor Barron and Leighton Clarkson in the team as often as we can, because they will yeah. make they will play those balls for Miofsky and especially for Duke, who's got such explosive and ex- a not to 60 speed that I've never seen from a, a Scottish footballer. Well, a player in Scottish football, should I say. Not is he eligible for Scotland? Oh, what about that guy that Hart signed? It was the quickest footballer on that Duke eligible for Scotland. Um, I don't think so. He, yeah, he does have caps. Um, he's not Jason Cummings. Jason Cummings has caps for Scotland. Uh, but he's now a full international for Australia. Yes, madness. The cum dog going to the World Cup, potentially. Anyway, um, 
Dukes, yeah, you were saying you've never seen a player as quick as this. What about that guy that Hart signed that was the quickest footballer on earth? Is this the guy that Ricky Foster then beat in a foot race? In his very, in like the first five minutes of his debut for Hearts, it was amazing stuff. Yeah, I imagine Graham was probably there. Graham and I were both there. We were at Tynecastle for that. Yeah. Yeah. Was that a Scottish Cup game? 3 0. Diamond gets sent off. Um, and, a, and Craig Thompson no, gives a penalty. I don't think it was that one. No. Remember that no. one, though, despite the fact that. Do you remember that one? Uh, despite the fact that there's a great big sort of like chunk of grass missing just outside the box where Diamond had taken the boy out. Yeah, it was fucking amazing. Craig Thompson. Fucking hell. Yeah, I mean, um, let's be fair, we were on, a, we're on our way to a hiding that day anyway. We were, but talk about capping it off. <laughs> that know, made it that, three. That made it three. I, bl- yeah, I, I, I remember that because I didn't stand up for it. I think I just sat down, just accepted our fate. <laughs> <laughs> Clarkson and Barron you just touched on them there but like Duke and Miofsky will probably benefit a lot from playing in front of these two guys working really well in that three in the set of the park with Ramadani holding and again it's potentially a really kind of dynamic interesting and exciting midfield that we're potentially building in, in there now it is but then one's on loan and one where may not be here for that long <laughs> <laughs> so so enjoy it while you can great, great. Abbey fans is what we're saying start with, start with some positive and then <laughs> Go to that place. I, I, I mean, even if the you know if it's not that personnel, if that gives you the basis of a system, and you know kind of who you're recruiting for, that might help. I'm enjoying it at the moment, but I think I'm not so sure that's a long term option <laughs> given the in the nature of those players. Graham's really fucking glass half full tonight, is he? You know? Given uh, Dave Cormack's statement, his comments, what was it about? We've given Connor Barron a bumper deal. It's up to him now. So where have we heard that one before? Well, that's just what I was going to say. I mean, that's like, I don't know what page of the playbook we're on, but that is a standard quote from the playbook and this usually only ends up one way. So it's just part of that. Uh, yes. It's going well at the moment. Yes. Um, yeah, I mean, obviously no coincidence that we are a better team with Conor Barron in there and he'll get better the more and more games he plays the better more he gets up to speed and i think leighton clarkson's coming on to a really good game as well um having uh come back from the suspension you know he made us look better against tanadice which to be fair i think any one of us at goals on a thursday could have made our team look better at, uh, at tanadice so maybe that's a pretty low bar to clear but um yeah this team this setup it's good for me um like i say i do still have that reservation but it will it limits the opportunities for us to get some of our wide players into the team. And there are some good players in there. Um, Johnny Hayes has been very good this season. I've been banging the Ryan Duncan drum ever since Peter Head. Shade Morris, eh, not so much. But yeah, there's it's that thing. It's like Guy says, it gives us options um, for going into the season, going into against different opposition, home or away. So yeah, this is not a bad thing. And those two have been very, very good. Probably the only black mark of the entire game, I'm going to suggest, from the weekend. Yes, defensively, we still looked a little bit ropey in, in parts, but uh, Kel Roos um, thought he did well against Hearts last week. Um, we bit iffy for the goal uh, against part of this one midweek. And yeah, a couple of really iffy moments again um, uh, for Park on Saturday. There's that, in particular, that chance that Van Veen should score um i'm hilarified by the fact it was van veen and that he didn't score it hilarified that's right and then he um appears to be coming in for a lot of stick from other fans over the last 24 hours kevin van veen for being a preening dickhead it would appear um 
but yeah, is that the one slight issue still, Kel Roos? Uh, there's bigger issues with our team than Kel Roos. There's still a lot of work to be done. Like I say, there are still... I just had to we, find something negative to talk we about. We are still... We we did, we were still giving away opportunities too easily. Um, to That that goes beyond what Kel Roos is up to. But, you know, I look again at Park Thistle. Um, I think it's a goal that can be stopped on two separate occasions by Kel Roos by coming claiming the ball. And if he doesn't do that, then I think he should definitely save the ball uh, from going into that. It's a very meek header that gets past him. And yeah, I mean, I was listening to the game on the radio. Um, Willie Miller was having like some kind of minor cardiac event when Kellers came away from his goal and I think lets Van Veen in who should score, but didn't. I think when it comes to the goal, like, I think not much the Kellers could probably do about it. I think it's a pretty good strike. Um, I think he should do, I think he should do a bit better with he, it. Um, well, he does he get a hand. hand. He does get a hand to it. So if he's maybe stronger, he does maybe tip it around the post. Yeah. I still think it's a good low strike from a pretty, a you know, kind of short distance to the goal. Um, but yeah, every game, I feel like it feels like every game right now, there's something with Kel Roos that's just not performing to the standards that you want. And I think I'm going to, I'm going to um, probably preempt a game on this one. I think we've got an <laughs> incredibly capable goalkeeper on our bench and I'm not seeing any evidence to support the theory that Kel Roos is a massive upgrade on him. So I'd like to think that Jim Goodwin's looking at him and thinking, well, I've got my eye on you, mate. Let's just say that. I'm not... Got my eye on you, mate. Yeah, I'm sure he goes around to everyone <laughs> saying that really creepily. <laughs> I'm not really sure that Roos was all that much at fault for the goal. I know what you mean. It kind of trundles in. I don't think there's uh, much more he could have done. Decent enough finish. But I, I do agree with Gavin. But he could have saved it. You're making it out to be it's all his fault. I'm not so sure yeah. that's the case. Yeah. I am of the opinion that he's not better than Joel Lewis. And I'm also of the opinion there's enough of a sample size for that statement to be fair. So I'd be I I'd be surprised if he perseveres. I just think Joel Lewis is a good short stopper, but more importantly, he's just more commanding. And I just think that there's so many times where it just takes the heat out of a situation where the keeper just comes and claims the ball and you've got time to regroup. This sort of ball's coming in the box and is he not going to... I don't know, it just makes everyone nervous. I just like a goalkeeper to come out and deal with things and I don't... I haven't seen that from Roos, despite the fact that he has the build for it. And over the course of the seasons that Lewis was number one, I would say he's pretty good at commanding his box and just coming and collecting a ball and that just settles everyone down. I think it's quite important to have that. He's an interesting one, Roos, isn't he? Because he has all the attributes to be a really, really, really good goalkeeper, I think. He's got the size, he's got the build. He's decent with the ball at his feet, in fairness to him. He's actually pretty good with the ball at his feet in the main. Um, short stopping he's generally pretty good at as well, eh, I, I kind of yeah. feel. But uh, I, I think in the main, he's not bad. And, and the data hashtag kind of bears that out. Um, he's, he's, he's okay um, in terms of short stopping. But it's the cross-ball stuff. For a guy that size, I just find it baffling that they'd become, like, my height when a ball gets flung into the box. Uh, I'm finding That's it hard. what frustrates I, me. Yeah. I find it hard to legitimately say that someone's a good shot stopper when they let in the goal against Park Thistle. So I might just sidestep that comment. Um, I, I, feel like I feel we're kind of back in Gary Wood's territory, though, of, like, because the the big bonus of him is supposedly that he's good with the ball at his feet. And is, is he that good? With the ball is that's a fucking myth. No, but Roos is Kel Roos Roos that is much? Is he that much better? I think Roos is. 
I think Roos is pretty decent with the ball at his feet. Yeah, I, 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 yeah, I think he is. I find that we just tend to, you know, be playing. He plays a short ball out to a centre back, and then eventually it ends up with Bruce shelling the ball up the pitch. And it's like we're back in that territory of is that is that worth? Is that alone worth? You know, having a goalkeeper who's like you know not going to come and command his box at any available opportunity and let in goals like against when he did against Park Thistle when we've got yeah Joe Lewis is there and Joe Lewis we know what he's capable of so I I, I fear that one day we're gonna lose a game a massive game that could be you know the uh, make or break of our season and it'll be down to Kelroos that's that's where I am that. well that's a positive note there Gav anyway there we go um so Jeff that, thank you for that I'll, uh, that was your that's your very <laughs> old statement read out on the show I will take that 10 quid via PayPal thank you <laughs> Oh, and also a good week. You can't can't deny it. A, a good week all round. Um, excellent reaction. Oh, good. In terms of top dawn, for some reason at the time uh, after full time yesterday, the polling function on my Twitter app didn't want to work. Um, but managed to get it working on Sunday. So your choices uh, for the solar system were uh, Jack McKenzie, Duke Ramadani, or Anthony Stewart. Probably the closest one we've had, I think. All season, it's Rama Ramadani who wins it 49% of the vote. Uh, Duke in second place, 35%. Anthony Stewart, third place, 9%. And Jack McKenzie on 7%. Gents, you're topped on from Saturday. I'll just go for Ramadani. When in doubt, go with the people. Clean sweep. It's Ilber Ramadani. The Albanian Javi is. The Albanian Brian Grant. So on to other news from Pataudry and Cormac Park this week. Now, the first one we touched on earlier on confirmed our League Cup semi-final against Sevco will be on Sunday, the 15th of January, at 3pm kickoff at Hamden Park. Ticket details to come, but I think we'd all agree, boys, hopefully just go straight to general sale and run this priority point nonsense. We don't need it. Let's just get as many tickets sold to this one as we possibly can. Get as many shifted and actually get as many as we want. None of this pish around, oh, Rangers have to get, I don't know, 47,000 and that leaves you with Nothing left because corporate get the rest of some ball. It's just 50-50 and if you don't sell them well, so what? To cup for semi-final, you're entitled to half of them. Yeah, take take what we are entitled to and let's... And you know what? Give us the Protestant end this time. I was going to say, what end do you think we're going to get? <laughs> I wait with bated breath on it. Anyway, second part of news. Um, an interesting one. The release of a report by uh, the club, um, or sorry, a, a, a report by Aberdeen and Grampian Chamber of Commerce and MKA Economics, whoever the fuck they are, which was commissioned by the club and Aberdeen City Council to look at the economic impact of a new stadium located at the beach. Now, before we start this, just want to make it absolutely crystal clear for anyone listening in, the three of us are all supporters of the Don staying at the beach location, correct? Yep. Correct. I think we're all maybe not convinced the site that's being mooted is the right one and maybe i think we all think that the club should maybe push the council to find a better parcel of land that would be available but we are where we are on that one that's the club to try and drive that with the council but we support it unquestionably we want this the dons to stay at the beach but fuck my life the numbers in this report about a stadium bringing in an additional three hundred fifty thousand visitors per year is unbelievably laughable and this stuff, together with the club's like recent wonky spreadsheet on the Sky deal that we did a deep dive on, like really doesn't help to sell this stuff, does it? No, I I did see this, and I didn't really delve into it in much detail because I knew we would be tonight. I'm all for that. So I am in favour of remaining 
well, first and foremost, in the city. I know, I know we technically were before, but that's not in my opinion. Down at the beach, I'm all for that. Yeah, would I have picked that site? Probably not. But still, if that's where we end up, you know, fine. Let's make that's, it happen. Yeah, make, make it happen. But what I'm struggling to understand is, you know, sell your case, that's fine, but make it stand up to scrutiny because all you do is, like, I can't fathom most of this stuff. So you just sort of lose credibility. And that's even within someone like me that is for it. But I'm like, you can't, I don't see how. <laughs> yeah, this is the thing. Like, I don't, if I don't see how the case really works and it's something I want, then how are you ever going to convince someone who's opposed to it if you can't actually back these claims up? Shall we deep dive it? <sighs> Need to do it again. But like, so there's a table in the report. Um, and this is the worst thing about this is it takes an idiot like us, it takes three idiots like us three to take five minutes out of our day to go and sense check some of this shit and go, that just doesn't make any sense, guys. Like, if we can do it, why is somebody else not doing it? And you're right, Graham. If you're trying to convince people, try to win hearts and minds, this is not the way to do it. So let's have a look at the table. In the, in the report, I can't remember what section it's in. I should have bookmarked it earlier on, but there's a table which explains about how they're going to arrive at an annual attendance of 750,000 visitors to the stadium every year over a 50-year period. So they're not even talking about this ramping up gradually over the 50-year period. They're talking about this starting on day one, which makes it even worse. And this means that they try and claim they can generate an extra 350,000 visitors to the stadium every single year. So let's have a look at it. One of it, on line one, AFC men's first team, 23 games, an average attendance of 16,000, fine, whatever. Okay, I'll take that one. Um, it is what it is. Obviously, Stephen Glass is in charge at this point. <laughs> yeah, clearly not. Next in line, AFC women's first team, eight games with an average attendance of 12,000 at each of those games, right? Now, the women's team, as much as we all want to see it grow, I think we all agree on that, it's a fast-moving, developing area of sport in Scotland, unquestionably. Um, we provide our support to the women's team. You know, We sponsor AG Meach ourselves out of our own pockets. Um, we, we provide the coverage to the women's team and everything as well. We, we want to support them, want to see that grow, but at the same time, the idea of there being eight games a season being held at a new stadium with an average attendance of 12,000 supporters per game is just fanciful. It, it just doesn't stack up to reality. Arsenal women's team, who are one of the biggest women's teams in the country, had an average attendance last season of 3,500. Chelsea women, who are another one of the big clubs in this area in England, 3,067 was their average attendance last season. The Dons homecoming match against Rangers in March attended just over 1,800 fans. It's a great effort, and we all supported that. But you need to multiply that by what? Six for eight games <laughs> to make that those numbers work. It's just not going to happen, is it? I don't see it happening. Not right now? Not right now, arguably, ever. I mean, there are, there are, there are men's team in the Scottish Premier League who can't get 12. Well, that's what I was going to say. And actually, I don't know what our average attendances have been, but 16 is a little optimistic. Now, I appreciate that set on the capacity of the stadium, yeah. the assumption that we'll sell it out, and that, that may or may not be correct. I feel like if the if the target for what is, I guess, the most popular first team, if you like the men's first team, or you know, that's where most of your fan base is, that guesstimate is a little overstated, I think, based on facts. I don't see how you're getting 12 for the women's game. I'm not saying you shouldn't be. I just, I don't see how you're going to get it because if if the richest teams in the world 
can't get people to go and watch the women's teams. I'm not sure how anyone else. So there's not a dig at sort of Aberdeen the club or people locally. It's just a general observation. If if teams with basically bottomless pits of cash and resources can't do it, I'd question how the league in Scotland would be generating the sort of the interest to get attendances like that yeah. on a regular basis across the board. I mean, the, the biggest teams here won't even be getting anywhere near that. So we're it's not it's not like we're playing catch up and it's achievable. We're so far behind. A few weeks ago, I think it was the launch of the first weekend of the new women's Premier League. It was the biggest combined attendance ever for Scottish women's football across all the divisions for one week. And it was just over 2,000. Yeah, combined attendances think, for all the fixtures. Did the national team even Well, we'll get come on to the 12... national team in a minute. We'll come on to the national team in a minute when we get to them. Next up on the list, so we all agree that that idea that eight, eight games per season, 12,000 average is just... So that's a hundred. That's basically nearly a hundred thousand of those extra three hundred fifty thousand just disappear straight off the, off there, right? When you talk about, like you say, I mean, when it comes to club women's club football, Arsenal is the team that I kind of most associate with success in in the UK. And if with those kind of catchment areas of you know London, if that's what they're attracting, then London. it seems incredibly um, speculative to suggest that's going to be the case with Aberdeen in uh, in a relatively short space of time as well. Well, but bear in mind, this is meant to be from day one as well, because they talk about this over 50 years. Yeah, but that's when we've got the new stadium in 2043. Oh, that's also true. So let's move on to the next line. Scotland under 21 internationals, four of them per season, or four of them a year, with an average attendance of 16,000. Again, not going to happen. The most recent under 21 internationals in the country have attracted between two and 3,000 tops um, at Tanadice or Tyne Castle. I mean, even when the full national team last played here against uh, the Netherlands back in 2017, and okay, it was a friendly match, that only attracted just over 17,000 for the full international against Holland. There's no danger you're getting 16,000 people turning up for a Scottish under-21 game. And how are you convincing the SFA to put four under-21 games to Scott, to Pataudry, uh, the new Pataudry or wherever it's going to be? That's what I was going to say. First of all, I appreciate initially there might be the sort of the novelty of the new stadium and stuff but actually I'm not sure how you're getting that many games because I've not seen anything like that today I don't know how those games work whether the clubs sort of offer up the facilities yeah. or whether we don't push for it I don't know but increasing the number of games seems a little optimistic based on what we've seen in the past I mean you might be able to cut a deal with the SFA to say stick all your other 21 games here you might be able to do it because it's a new Fancy facility. They're not. They're not going to do it. They're not going to send people up here. They're just. just I just don't see it happening. But you're going to get it for fifty years. Don't see no. it. No. No. Don't see it. Um. Next up, Scotland women's internationals. Four games a year. Again, attracting an average of sixteen thousand uh, per game. Again, I just don't see this happening with the drive for parity within the game. I expect that most of the well, the, the SFA have made a commitment anyway, haven't they? To play at Hamden. Women's competitive games will be played at Hamden. So that was that. my understanding, yeah. So I can't imagine they'll ever want to renege on that. Now, they may suggest, well, this is a brand spanking new fancy stadium and this could be the home of Scottish women's football going forward. I don't know how that really plays with the whole parity thing. So I'd expect most games to remain at Hamden anyway, or games with meaning, competitive games, not friendlies. And even when they do... They're not even hitting those numbers at the moment anyway. The playoff game against Ireland recently, you know, where World Cup qualification was on the line, had just under 11,000 at Hampden for that one. But Ginnan of itself, 
it's, it's great. an achievement. Yeah. yeah. But you're, yeah, you're, you're, because you could look at it and say, well, you're not too far away from 16 and maybe you could make that case. However, that's about the biggest game that you're going to get short of actually being in yeah, a World, World Cup, Cup or a Euros. So if you can't get it and you're, yeah, if you can't get it for almost about the biggest game you can get, I don't see how a sort of a run of the mill international match is going to get a higher attendance and shifting up here is going to get a higher attendance. It'd be incredible to see it, but I don't see where that's happening. You don't build a business case on these types of numbers, do you? Not a legitimate business. Well, everything they've got here in terms of the games at the new Pataudry, fine. The number of games, not so sure about. The attendance yeah. is no. But will you get internationals for the women's team? I'm pretty sure you would. Yeah, you Under might. the 21s, the first team, etc. I'm pretty sure you'll get all that stuff. Yeah. But I don't see it happening as often and with the number of people pitching up that, you know, not, not continuously over the period, which is what this seems to be suggesting. Yeah, one-offs, you absolutely might hit that. But this yeah. seems to suggest that this is the annual pattern forever. Yeah, and I don't, I don't see how that's going to be the case. I think my favourite one is the next one, um, actually, because the next one down is the rugby games. Eight of them per season. It's sixteen thousand per average. How, how are you getting to that number? Scotland play a maximum of seven to eight home internationals a season, a year, right? There are absolutely no dangers that a all of those are getting moved away from Murrayfield because why would they? That makes no sense. So where are the numbers coming from? Like, how does that even make sense? Well, let me just let me just uh, put this out there. I will not be one of those sixteen thousand. <laughs> yeah, okay, Gav. Yeah, Gav very much nailing his colours to the mast of nay fucking egg chasing there. I see, but you know, like uh, there is more chance of Graham enjoying a game of cricket at Patoji than there is of me watching rugby there. <laughs> Graham's got a membership at the cricket club these days. Is that yeah, a pints membership? Yeah, there we go. <laughs> yeah, not a playing membership, but a watching membership. A pints <laughs> membership. Um, yeah, I mean, like, I think I'm trying to think. So I went to, I think it was the Barbarians came to Pataudry. Yeah, yeah. A long time ago, uh, and I went, you know, decent occasion and stuff, and it's something different. I don't have this hatred of rugby that Gavin seems to have, but fundamentally, you can't go from that game that was so long ago, I can't even remember when it was, to all of a sudden we're getting... Now, it doesn't actually... I don't think it says in the report... I don't know, like, there's not a definition of rugby. Yeah, well, this is what I was getting to, because... So, because, you know, you you could get eight games if you get the schools there, but you're not going to get 16,000 people. So if if it's eight sort of male, female, whatever gender of, like, full-flight international team, it's not... I don't see how you're getting that number of games. Never mind the people, the number of games. Put this with the SRU aren't saying, you know what? Yeah, we've got England and the Six Nations, a massive money spinner every season. We'll move that away from Murrayfield, which is what, 60 or 1,000 to Pataudry for 16. I mean, like, it's just fanciful. The only thing I could think, the only thing I could think of when I was working it through was that for a while, there had been a lot of talk about there being a third professional Scottish team being formed by the SRU and there had been talk previously about that being based in the northeast so I thought oh well maybe that's what they're factoring in here is potentially a third professional uh, rugby outfit in in Scotland but then you go away look at the numbers they play more than eight home games a season and even then a brand new team that just gets formed out of nowhere is not going to attract 16,000 people average straight off the bat 
if you're not getting 16 to watch your football team, you're not getting 16 to watch your football Certainly not, I don't think, up here, given that I would say everyone's preference is heavily towards football yeah. versus rugby. And again, all you need to look is, 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 is at the numbers as well. Like Glasgow Warriors and Edinburgh, they don't come anywhere close to getting that sort of average attendance either. I mean, Glasgow Warrior at the moment, this season, and I'm not sure if this data set is correct, so I'm going to give it a massive pinch of salt. The average attendance for this season so far is like 1,500. Um, their highest average attendance in recent seasons was seven and a half. Um, and that was at the season where they were kind of really challenging the top end of like European rugby and getting to like the later stages of the European Cup and stuff like that and, and challenging at the top of, um, God, what's the name of the... Heineken Cup? No, the the league they play in, you know, because they play with like the Welsh and the... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it doesn't matter it was. The point is, if they were at the top end and they still weren't anywhere near, that 16. is in a city with a population multiples of what... I guess in the North East, there's a catchment area. Yeah. But it's a more but, populous area with a team competing and they're half away from what we're saying we're going to get on day one. It just... Like this stuff just really like I just touched on it. If it takes idiots like us literally two minutes to fact check this kind of stuff, why is no one else doing it? Like I know that the club and the council want to put a really positive spin on this type of stuff and why it should be at the beach, but this stuff just doesn't help anyone. Like we don't need this type of pie in the sky bollocks thrown on top of it. I don't see how I don't see how the numbers can exist or be published. They just don't work. They just because don't work. there's enough actual. There's enough actual data out there to say, like, we we will never get that many games. Or even if we do, you just don't get those attendances because you're not getting them anywhere else. I'm all, I mean, I'd be quite happy if someone can get in touch and say, well, here's where it came from. It might be that I just don't get it and I can be <laughs> persuaded, but quite far off in terms of those attendances that have been published there versus what, I would reasonably expect just based on, you know, you know, there are other, like you said, pro rugby teams, et cetera, et cetera. There are the women's teams. What do they get? How are we suddenly going to increase that by a factor of five, six, seven in some cases? Do you think somebody's got like an, a dodgy copy of Excel someone, and it's like adding like, it's just got a star 10 hidden function sitting in somewhere. Like it feels like between this and like the sky statistical debacle we had a few weeks ago that, there's something not quite right going on with our uh, spreadsheet monkeys. It's just quite far-fetched, as far as I can tell. And, and again, to reiterate, I like the idea of the stadium. Yeah, I know. What's the worst thing about this? The, the beach. Um, I, I mean, I, I like Pataudry. I've said before, the match the experience for me is a couple of pints with my friends and watch Aberdeen win. I don't really care what the stadium was like to a degree that whole experience you know it's not it's not a day out for me you go to the football and I just want to watch a decent team win it's less of a concern if it's a big fancy stadium but I appreciate people who've got families different points of view Pataudry maybe doesn't cut the mustard um, so you probably are on the point where you do need a new stadium I just don't see how this can underpin anything where someone's going to look at this and say yep I'm going to get on board and here's here's my investment because i believe in this gav um yeah it's just um like so much that's come out of audrey recently um yeah you just wonder where it's come from what the the motivation for putting this kind of information out 
into the public domain is um it's just yeah the numbers are are completely far-fetched and seemingly nonsensical based on the reality of the situation um in both aberdeen and both you know the rest of the uk so in favor um i would just prefer maybe we kind of dealt a little bit more in you know in real terms and focused on you know what the importance of aberdeen football club has on the city um as a as a first team as um as a, a as a pillar of aberdeen perhaps and rather than coming out with this you know fluff that seems to be designed to make people who what give me maybe give it a glance make them say well that that sounds good yeah let's go with that then if you know ourselves if so many people on twitter within minutes of the statement coming out can be like hold on a minute that doesn't quite seem right let's have a look at that oh that's no that's that doesn't work it's yeah it, it leaves you with real question marks again once once again about the um the leadership of our um of our club and so many departments um yeah it's the statement the report to me is absolute nonsense i mean lots of the stuff in the reports are actually all right like lots of it is is fine but just this stuff you're just like guys come on like don't try and dress this up in a way that just literally just makes no sense which then makes you call it a question everything else about the report because if they're willing to put this is my thing, and I, and I would say this about not just our football club, I would say this about anything in life. If somebody's willing to realistically, and I know that this report was commissioned by some outsiders, so the club will say it wasn't them that came with the numbers. Fine, whatever. But somebody well, they've, read but they've it sanctioned and gone, it, they've branded yeah. it, and they've released it. Somebody at the club's read it and gone, yeah, yeah that looks okay to me. Like, if somebody's willing to put that into, like, especially that table, see if that table wasn't there and they just went, ah, we think it can attract 350,000 extra visitors. Most people just skim over it and go no idea how they're going to do that and then they go ah it might be a few concerts here and there or whatever and it seems believable when they'll just like kind of go to the next thing but when you when you're willing to put a table like that which is just full of nonsense that does make me then go how brazen are you going to be about other stuff you're doing it's like the table it's like the the fucking graph they did about the the sky deal and like you know Mm -hmm conveniently not actually adjusting the fact that the the deal for next year is actually a worse deal than what they currently is at the moment and if you want to do the whole per game basis and all that type of shit and you know the, the graphs there to show you what the norwegian tv deal is but conveniently missing out the fact that the norway deal ends that the referencing ends this year and there's a much much improved one kicking in next season all that type of stuff like that it's just like disingenuous and it just it makes me feel that you think that the fans button up at the back and it's not great it's not a good look please 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 do fucking better with this type of shit going forward if three idiots like us can sense check this in about five minutes then there's something far wrong. So a final point. I don't understand who they're trying to... Who are you trying to convince? Yeah, because like, well, whether I like it or not, whether other fans like it or not, ultimately I'm not going to really have a say in it. And I'm also not directly going to be putting my hand in my pocket to fund it either. Now, obviously I'm, I'm indirectly doing it because if I continue to buy season tickets, etc. Et but ultimately they're not... It's not a prospectus. No. To me, as a potential investor, at some point, they're going to have to come to people and say, we need money. Someone's going to say, okay, how are you going to underpin all of this? What's the what's the backup to it? They're going to look at that table and say, okay, but I know that's the one you published, but where's the real one? And if yeah. that is the real one, they're just going to say, no, it's okay. You, you <laughs> go elsewhere. Yeah, yeah at, some, at some point, there has to be a real set of numbers. And I really struggle to believe that you could actually genuinely 
make progress behind the scenes with those figures. Anyway, shall we move on? Probably should. Lone Watch. Connor McLennan, because we, we forgot about Connor and he's back this week, um, started and set up Stevie May's winner before he was then substituted in the last minute of St. Johnson's win at Easter Road on Friday evening. Well done, Connor, uh, Andy, and Stevie May, all obviously ex Don's alumni for their part played in the first ever VAR game. What at, about Adam? Uh, Adam, who? Montgomery. Adam. Did he play? Did he play? Yeah, he got I, subbed. Ah, well, there we go. Well done, Adam Montgomery. Thank you. We're not bitter at all. For uh, including Stevie May, Adam Montgomery gets a shout out. Come on. <laughs> oh, Cap, that is, that is harsh AF. Anyway, is it? Gwen, yes. is it? Yes. Yeah. Graham, is. is it? Stevie May ensured that Ryan Jack left Pitodrian in an ambulance With the, without even doing anything. Still happened. Still a thing that happened. I don't really want to get into debate as to who was worse. I mean, they both give me night terrors. <laughs> So let's just move on. Are you going to need your nightlight tonight, Graham? Absolutely. There we Absolutely. go. Absolutely. a third consecutive start for Niguenya, and he played the full 90 minutes as Wraith drew a one-all with ICT in the championship. Mason Hancock, an unused sub once again for our both in their 1-0 win over Hamilton on Saturday afternoon. Evan Tyler started and played 63 minutes in Cove's 2-2 draw at Air United, also in the championship. Uh, Tom Ritchie played the full 90 as Peterhead lost 2-0 to Alwa at Balmour in League One, and Kevin Hanrati came off the bench for the final 22 minutes in 4 first 3-1 win at kill-winning Rangers in the Scottish Cup. And finally, Dean Campbell back in the squad for Stevenage, but failed to get off the bench as big bad Steve Evans once again ran out of brown envelopes as his Stevenage side were being 3-2 by Northampton Town in League Two, which sees them slip to second spot. On to the young team, Barry Robson's side continuing to impress a 5-1 win over Ross County at the Highland Football Academy, sees them progress into the next round of the Scottish Youth Cup. Liam Harvey with a hat-trick, a goal as well for Dylan Lobbin. Into the next round, on the women's team, no game for the Quines this week. Next up is return to Pataudry, against Glasgow Women this coming Sunday, kickoffs one o'clock, free access for season ticket members, DNA members and under 12s. Tickets priced at five quid for everyone else. If you can make it, please try to get along. Help support the coins as they look to try and get their season up and running. And I think that probably wraps up this section of the ABZFP. What did you say, boys? Yes. Excellent. Join us after the break for our preview of next Saturday's visit to Mordor. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast is brought to you by Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. And yes, it's that time of the year where we need to talk about Christmas. Book your Christmas night out at Siberia Bar and Hotel, who are offering area hire, buffet platters and a welcome drink for as little as £30 per person. And it all kicks off from the 1st of November. Book early to avoid disappointment contact scott at siberia-aberdeen.com that's scott at siberia-aberdeen.com for more details Welcome back to the ABZ Football Podcast. Before we move on to our preview of this week's fixture at Ibrox, we just want to give a shout out to those of you 
who've made your contributions to the Beer and Coffee Fund this week. In particular, Mark Robertson. Mark! Hugh Will. Hugh! Craig. Craig! And Alan Carmichael. Ali! And to our regular monthly contributors, we see you. Your bread's appreciated. If you'd like to help us keep fueled in beers and or coffee, head on over to ko-fi.com forward slash ABZ football podcast. The link is in the description. Uh, it is much appreciated, isn't it, lads? Yeah, genuinely is appreciated that uh, people take time out and with everything else going on in the world can find a couple of pennies for three jokers. Exactly. We'll skip the, the, the Gothenburg thing because I've still not updated the spreadsheet because I'm an idiot. And Fantasy Football League, we'll come up with that next week because I feel like we're running way over time today so far. But a regular feature of the show that everyone loves. We can still crowbar this into the show. We'll still shoehorn this in. This is much more important. Jeff's Music Corner this week. This is a banger. Spaceman, Babylon Zoo. Thoughts, gents? That is a blast from the past. Are you going to claim that you haven't heard this one either? No, I think I, I think I actually own the single for this. I think I need to go back and check. I think I might have the CD. Would that have been on cassette? Probably would have been about that era. Uh, no, I think it was a CD. I think it was a CD. Ooh, yeah. well, it must have been an early adopter. I reckon Gav's probably too young for this. That's what you'll claim. Um, not a fan. Not a fan. Not a fan of this one. No. Graham, I don't mind it. I don't have any objections. A lot of strong opinions on this track here. There is. This is this isn't gone as well as thought. Anyway, peaked at number one in the UK chart all the way back in January 1996. It was at the time the biggest single, the biggest selling single since Can't Buy Me Love by the Beatles over 30 years previously. Uh, the week it was released, the Dons had a one-one draw at Falkirk in the Premier Division on the Tuesday evening. Dean Windass with the equaliser um, before beating Partick Thistle 1-0 at the weekend. Billy Dawes with a penalty winner. So there we go. A little bit of synergy because we beat Partick in the same week that we're talking about. So how can we get Back to Aberdeen through Babylon's, but through from Babylon Zoo in our seven degrees of lamb feature. Well, quite easily, actually, as it turns out. Um, front man for Babylon Zoo, Yas, Jas, Jace, man. Tell me if I've got that right, wrong. Um, uh, a Wolverhampton Wanderers fan, and the link between Aberdeen and Wolves goes way, way back, all the way back to 1967, where the Washington Whips, who of course were the Aberdeen team in the United States Soccer Association. We won our Eastern Conference and we played the LA Wolves, who were the imported team of Wolverhampton Wanderers in the final. It was proclaimed at the time as being the greatest final ever seen in the United States. Wolves winning at 6-5 after extra time. Got there really easily this time. Uh, how many stages is that? Uh, Babylon Zoo, Wolverhampton Wanderers, Aberdeen. Three. Done it. Easy. You could have just saved us the history lesson and just said that Wolves is where we got Austin Sandals from. True, but I think it's much more interesting the Washington Whips thing, no? Um, I assume it's because you didn't think about Samuels. I completely forgot about Austin Samuels. Watching Austin Samuels' interpretation of crossing the ball was a more interesting thing than what I've just learned there. That was more interesting. Yeah. it was, really? it was it, The way that he was just so intent on like decapitating fellow strikers oh. was <laughs> quite the spectacle for me. How is he getting on? Is he still playing for... I, I think he's out of the team now. Yeah, he's not even in the squad. So I'm going to presume he's injured. You anyway. could also have worked in a wee Jackie Mack reference. Oh, yeah. Yeah, true. He did join. He he joined from Wolves, didn't he? Is there anyone else we couldn't link back to? 
Christoph Berra, who of course was Wolves and then got brutally abused by a ball boy <laughs> and retired after playing at Pataudry. So there's Christoph Berra as yep, well. Yep, yep. Um, we, we maybe should cut this out, Gav, because if we end up with the Wolves connection in another song, we might need some of these. That's a very fair point, actually. Very good point. We'll we move on. Anyway, Babylon Zoo, Spaceman, your thoughts? Hit us up. No, nah, not having it. Not about genital warts, which is disappointing, but never mind. There we go. Speaking about genital warts, our first trip to Mordor on Saturday sees the Dons travel to Govan in good spirits, looking forward to building some momentum against the Sevco side in all sorts of bother at the moment. Their 1-1 draw with 10-man Livingston on Saturday afternoon sees them slip four points behind Celtic and the murmurs of discontent about Giovanni Bram... <laughs> Giovanni Van Bronckhorst? Giovanni Van Bronckhorst continue to grow. You think we should stop drinking when we do these? No, just you. No, just me. Okay, <laughs> excellent. Now... Uh, let's start this by premising that I think we all expect they go to Napoli on Wednesday in the Champions League and they get an absolute fucking scudding. Most likely. I think based on the results today, I don't see how they're going to suddenly pull something out of the bag. It is what the narrative would suggest. So, all expectations would be that you, Lazuri, give them a spanking, Sevco are probably looking down the barrel of being the worst ever Champions League group side in history, which would be fucking hilarious. Off the back of what they've, you know, as hard as it is to admit, what they've achieved in Europe the last couple of years, that would be pretty spectacular. Uh, if it does happen, if they do get a spanking on Wednesday night, I mean, the pressure on Van Bronckhorst is now going to be immense. It'd be great if we could go to Ibrox on Saturday and just slam in the final nail into that particular coffin, wouldn't it? It would be. So um, brace yourself for what's actually going to happen. So you know what we're going to do. <laughs> we get a real like, fighting 1-0 win in Naples and come kind of fucking spank us on Saturday. <laughs> um, let's look at them so far this season. In the league, they come in the game uh, second of the table. They're seven points ahead of us, so a good opportunity for us to try and close the gap as well. Uh, they've got eight wins, two draws, one defeat so far to their name. They've scored 27, conceded 10. Unbeaten so far in the league at home. They've only conceded two goals, actually, at Ibrox so far this season. They've got massive, massive injury issues. That's a big shame, isn't it? Um, which means that Golson, Hellander, and John Suter. Remember John Suter? I was amazed to find he was out injured. Uh, so they all continue to miss out from a back line, which means we're probably likely to see a centre-back pairing of either uh, the young lad King and... Davies or Sands it's still I still find it hilarious that they've got a centre half called Sands at Rangers but never mind and Davies as well Tavernier seems to be playing with an injury at the moment Barisic continues to be a bit iffy at left back uh, they've got issues as well in the centre of the park with injuries to uh, a former Aberdeen player uh, Tom Lawrence and Glenn Kamara so it's likely to be Davies and Lundstrom again Pace. in the centre of the park Pace I know <laughs> with Tillman and Kent probably supporting Cholak up front. Now, Cholak, in fairness, um, and don't say we're not, you know, benevolent people. He seems to be a decent bit of business, in fairness, um, in the summer. Came in from Malmo. Uh, he's already got 13 goals in 18 games. And he's already got form for scoring against us because he scored in both legs for Rijeka in our Europa League third qualifying round defeat to the Croats in 2019. So he knows uh, all about scoring against Aberdeen. Tavernier and Kent with the most assists so far, five each. Barisic next up with three. So it's clear they're still trying to exploit the wide areas of the pitch, um, which is interesting because who can judge Ryan Kent? Only God, I believe. 
in terms of style of play, and this seems to be where the biggest issue for most Steph Conians is kind of coming from with regards to Van Brockhorst. And it's borne out big time in the hashtag data. They're the slowest team in the league in terms of moving the ball forwards, uh, doing so at an average of just 1.28 metres per second. And they take the most amount of passes per sequence, averaging 4.14. So this is slow, plodding football, plenty of possession, being patient with it, but it's not necessarily leading to much in the way of end product, which is why I suspect Livingston were able to do a really good number on them at the weekend where they just got a goal and they sat right back and let them come at them. Uh, so far, they've got an expected goals of a season of 19.6. They're second in the table on that, but they're way off the pace of Celtic, who've got an expected goals of 28.2 for the season. So nine goals basically off of them. Uh, the way they want to play is also borne out by their zones of control. Again, we'll highlight this graphic when we put the tweet out. Um, they're basically dominating the vast majority of the pitch in terms of possession. Um, and interestingly, defensively, despite their worries and in terms of injuries, they do, they do have the second best defensive record in the league they're only averaging uh, 0.9 goals per game against and they have the best expected goals against only 6.3 this season although they have actually conceded 10 so they're performing worse in reality than they should do on that metric it's perhaps a sign that McLaughlin and McGregor might not be all that great so the message there must be to get shots on goal and we saw McGregor especially against Liverpool laughably bad when they're out of possession, they are trying to win the ball back quite quickly, though. This is something that is quite interesting from the numbers. They've got the lowest PPDA in the league. Gav, PPDA. See Graham Steele's answer earlier on the show. Excellent. At 8.3, and they're also the league leaders in terms of high turnovers. They've had 86 of these. That's where they win the ball back within 40 metres or less of the opposition goal. So, interesting. Out of in possession, sorry, slow, plodding, methodical, Nothing necessarily to trouble a team who can sit back and, and, and soak it up. Out of possession, they seem to be very intense to try to win the ball back off you high up the park. So it would appear that the likes of Stuart, Scales, McCrory, Ramadan in particular, all need to be on it at Ibrox on Saturday. That all said, have we got a better chance in recent years of going to Ibrox and getting a result than we do at the moment? If you were going to pick a time to play them, it would be when they're in absolutely stinking run of form. But I feel like we've maybe been here before quite a few have. times when, oh, their form's rubbish and we go and make an arse of ourselves. Um, th their form is garbage, so they can get a, spot, a bit of a tanking in Europe. That would obviously help, you know, heads are down, whatever. We are probably, by contrast, we must be pretty good spirits, I would think, when the, within the team. You know, a few decent results, so probably... Going in, we should be going into it with confidence, but yeah, our record's not exactly great down there. I mean, you're saying their form's garbage. It is worth saying they have won four and drawn one of the last five league games. Yeah, they have. And they beat Dundee in the League Cup last week. Their results are they're being interrupted by horrendously laughable, embarrassing results in Europe. But I think I've heard something. that They've got two more points at this point now than they had last year under Steven Gerrard. So it's all kind of relative that obviously Celtic have got off to a much better start this year than they did last year and they're already yeah. creating a little bit of a gap there. So uh, I think it is more the the style of play that Rangers are um, getting themselves involved in. I mean, you know, you, you hear Gary saying they're slow, plodding, in possession. Sounds like so many teams under this kind of new generation of managers, like, you know, even Glass or Sean Maloney last year. 
with Hibs. Um, when it comes to them, yeah, I think you can sense there is discontent um, amongst the Rangers fans. If we can go down there, keep ourselves solid, not give anything away. You know, what you've mentioned there about them pressing high at the park, it does concern you because I think we're still prone to mistakes at the back. And um, if people are coming at us at pace, it can be quite concerning for our, for our back line there. It's going to be the difference, isn't it, between what Livingston would have done yes on Saturday, for example. Because you know that Livingston are, get, are winning the ball back or if they're getting the ball back, they are just humping up the park and resetting and hoping for the best. Whereas our modus operandi all through the season has been to build from the back, you know, mm-hmm. short goal kicks, etc., etc. That's the thing that does worry me is that we could potentially get caught out there with a high press against us. It's much easier just to get rid of the ball at the park and set back again. You're, you're you're more likely to be exposed badly by a high turnover. Yeah, uh, there is the caveat. I thought I think with Chola, I think we. I mean, you can copy and paste so much of what we're talking about now. But when we were due to play the pathology before, um, True. the country went fucking mental um, for about a week. Um, but Chola, to me, he has scored goals. Definitely thirteen. I think you said there in the league or domestically so far. I still don't think he's the same level of nuisance as an informed Morelos is. So I think that we will have the ability to, you know, pass the ball around him. But yeah, you don't want to see us giving away opportunities to any of their more creative players. I think what we have that could perhaps, you know, negate them pressing us so high is that we do have genuine pace to burn in our attacking ears. And I'm thinking primarily of Duke. I think he's going to push their defense back and in turn, you know, drag their whole entire team back um, further up the pitch to give us perhaps a little bit more space to to build uh, with the ball out from the back. Um, as Graham said, I think we can, we're in a good, you know, we've had a, a testing run of fixtures um, against Hearts, Park, Thistle and Motherwell. And we've come through it with, you know, in all fairness, you know, flying colours. So I think we should be going to Ibrox with a lot of confidence. Who knows, maybe they'll be tired after their exploits in Europe and we can catch them. Um, on the uh, well, expect they're going to be doing a lot some... of running about in Naples on Wednesday night. You know they're going to be chasing a lot of ball. Graham, any comments? Yeah, <laughs> it's just a mess, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm not even getting drawn into that. <laughs> um, but yeah, I think I think we've definitely got enough to go about and hurt them. They are missing a number of, of key players um, in the midfield and at centre back. So I think we've got enough to go about them and. If we can be positive and show them what we're all about, I think we can get results. But, you know, we've seen it Tanadice in a high pressure situation. Our team did not necessarily react the way we want them to. So Ibrox feels like well, it's a huge test it? for a number of our players. And maybe even our management on that note. I mean, if you want to talk about, we spoke about at the very top of the show that the week that's gone past, it's a good week. Um, great. We need to move on to the, to the game at Ibrox, but it doesn't, you know, I think a lot of people, maybe not a lot of people, but I think some people would go, okay, fine, the Tannis game is now in, in the past. And it is, obviously, it's in the past. But for me, it's still not forgiven because of that result uh, and the performance in particular at Tannis. It's not forgiven just because of the week that's gone past. Go out there and show me a performance at Ibrox in a real pressure situation, and then I might start forgiving that performance at Tannis a little bit more again. Um, the one thing I'd be keen to see is, and you may remember this, um, I think probably the finest moment of Stephen Glass's tenure as Aberdeen manager was probably our performance at Ibrox in October last season, where it's the first time in a very, very, very long time I've seen Aberdeen go to Ibrox and go toe-to-toe with Rangers in terms of trying to play football. And 
playing our way out of danger and being confident and composed on the ball and playing our way around them and causing them all sorts of problems that evening. That is going to be the, if we, then, then this is where there's a bit of stick or a twist about the way we decide to play next Saturday. If we decide to stick with philosophy and we're going to play it from the back and we're going to pass the ball around, great. If we can do that and we can execute it well, then you'll create opportunities because if you can break that first line of defence, you can cause this team all sorts of problems if you can get past that first press. And it'll be interesting to see what Goodwin does um, from my perspective next Saturday because realistically, we go to Ibrox, I don't think with any major injury concerns. Um it looks like our best 11, or on paper, our best 11. It might be a bit too early for Hayes. We'll see what happens with Colson. But, you know, our attacking players all look like they're fit. It doesn't look like anyone picked up any injuries at, at the weekend. They are going to be under strength just because I don't think any of those players we talked on earlier on are going to be available. They will have played in Naples on Wednesday night. Um, I suspect they will have had the run around in Naples on, on Wednesday night as well. If we can break through that first line of defence, I think there are opportunities for Aberdeen next next week and if we can do that and we can play in the same confidence and the same conviction in our play as we did under glass in this game in October last season then I think we've got a real opportunity but it's going to be interesting from Goodwin's perspective because this is probably the first time Goodwin goes to Ibrox ever in his managerial career with a set of supporters who are expectant of a performance at Ibrox and not willing to accept sitting in and hoping for a draw or a, a narrow defeat I think that's a fair point and that's something we've mentioned previously is uh, sort of reservations around the manager would be what we think we'll get in games like this from a setup and a mentality point of view versus what we would want to see and I really just want to see us just try and play I I'm not I don't know what I would do in terms of maybe the the formation or would I rejig it because I mean, the amount of times they've turned over the ball basically at the edge of what would be our box, that sort of area, that does give me a little bit of the fear because sometimes we're a bit ponderous when we're passing it around because we're not necessarily under great deal of pressure. They're going to have to be aware that if you're going to be passing it around at the back, this sort of endless side to side just means you're going to end up getting pushed back and back and back and obviously if something goes wrong, then you're in big trouble. So if we're going to play it for the back, you need to make sure the likes of Stuart, for example, always has a pass on. Yeah. There's got to be someone, I'm picking on him because I feel like he's maybe the weaker footballer when it comes to that side of it, but there's got to be guys available, whether it's for a short ball or or if there isn't, just you might just have to get rid. Otherwise, we're just going to, I think we can get caught out quite quickly. But I still think it's the right thing to do because like you said, if you can, if you can do that and you can get it to work, then I think we've got a pacey team with some really quite good players that can definitely cause them some some bother. I don't even think that's a criticism of Anthony Stewart as such, more of the people around him. Um, when it comes to Tannadice and his passing out from the back, I, I found that I thought it was somewhat shocking the way that someone like McCrory or Ramadai were running away from him when he needed an option to have. Um, we need people to be very brave on the ball. That's where I think the likes of Connor Bannon, Leon Clarkson can come in and be, you know, potential match winners in in that situation. I'm shocked to learn that Ryan Kent is their joint um, top assist giver because all the chat you get on whether it's the press or online is that Ryan Kent's been massively off it for maybe a year or so now. Um, he's, he's, let's be honest, he's clearly an arsehole. 
but he's got some talent with the ball. And if he's up against Jaden Richardson for 19 minutes, you want to talk about giving you the fear. That right there is giving me the fear. So the people that are supporting him, if that's Ross McCrory at right center back, they need to be on their game. And you know, everyone needs to be covering for one another, uh, fighting for each other and being brave, being brave out of, out of possession and being brave in possession and showing that we have the, the capability to go and get a result that would be you know such a such a big result for both the team and the manager in winning over the fans there we go predictions then for saturday at abrooks further proof that var is in fact a catholic conspiracy in action aberdeen to win one nil through uh a duke goal that is initially given as offside but var overturns the decision i'm going to say one one goal scorer Mm, I'm trying to think who'd annoy them the most. Let's just say Duke. What's the story? No. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, that's a shout. Um, yeah, I mean, the, the old. <laughs> yeah, old that that Johnny Hayes. Johnny Hayes. Ross Johnny McCrory. Hayes Ross McCrory, be... and then he doesn't celebrate. Uh, oh no, just... no, Ross McCrory to go full badge kisser. Happy <laughs> <laughs> <That'd be ace. laughs> Rangers won because we won't keep a clean sheet. Um. Aberdeen two, Duke puts us up ahead, goes wild, goes mental. Um, obviously, lovely stuff. I mean, you think Duke goes wild when he scores? I can't wait for the scenes when Ramadani gets his first goal. Ah, uh, he's gonna. That's why I'm saying Ibrox market down the second coming of the Ian Jess strike all the way back on the 11th of November 1995, five, six. That one, you know the one I mean. 95 on my birthday, lovely stuff. The quote-unquote thunder bastard. Yes, that's the one. That's what I'm going for. Ilbo Ramadani. Two in Aberdeen. Van Bronckhorst sacked on the Monday. Absolute fucking scenes. And that does wrap up this week's episode of the ABZ Football Podcast. Thanks for joining us. Please remember to like, subscribe, follow, or whatever on your podcast. Player of choice, join us next week for episode 68. 68. Fucking hell where we'll look back on our fixture with Sevco and we will preview the doubleheader between Hibs and Livingston in the following season. Friday Night Football returns to Pataudry on the 4th of November before we head to the Tony Mac the week after. We'll look forward to seeing you then. Stand free. Episode 68. So close to Craig Brown's favourite number. Craig Brown, reporting for our party. This episode of the ABZ Football Podcast was brought to you in association with Siberia Bar and Hotel on Belmont Street, Aberdeen. Head into the bar, quote the phrase ABZ Pod, that's ABZ Pod, for a £3 pint of Foster's, £4 pint of Moretti, or £5 pint of Fierce any day of the week, including match days. Siberia is open seven days a week, all year round, and the bar is located only 30 seconds walk from the nearest bus stop taking supporters to Stadium for free on match days. Come on, you Reds.